Thank you, Terry, and thank you, Tom and Debbie. I enjoyed that music. I'm grateful for it. Turn your Bibles to the book of Revelation, please. Revelation, the last book of your Bible. Unless your Bible's upside down, then it might be the first one. Revelation chapter 2, please. As you're turning there, thank you for your prayers tonight. I had a graveside service for Martha Delfino this afternoon, where Dan and the, uh, his son and many friends were there also. And I just pray that you would uh, continue to pray for Brother Dan. He's, uh, Steve, his son, told me that he's just struggling uh, because of uh, the loss of his wife, someone he was been with for many, many years and, and is uh, gone now. So let's, let's keep in your prayers. By the way, I'd like to welcome those by live stream. Is live stream running now? Okay, welcome to the service tonight. We're glad you're here also. Uh, somebody here tonight said they've been watching me by live stream for a while, and they come in tonight and said, I look better in real life. <laughs> I said, well, that's wonderful. <laughs> and so uh, uh, I'm glad you're here either by live stream or here tonight. Thank you so much for coming. All right, we want to, um, we didn't quite finish up with our message last week. I don't know if you still have your notes. Just one verse we did not able to finish, Revelation chapter 2, verse 17. It was a promise that God made to the church of Pergamos. And I like to uh, uh, look at the promise here, and then we'll move on to the next letter to the message to the church of Thyatira. But in verse 17, this is a verse, in fact, uh, there's many differences of opinion on what this verse means. And so I'm going to tell you what I think it means tonight. And so, and you may have some a different interpretation of the verse, but verse 17 of Revelation chapter 2, he begins by saying, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Now, the ear he's talking about here is not the piece of flesh on the side of your head. It's talking about a spiritual ear, spiritual hearing. He that wants to hear spiritually, listen carefully is what he's saying here. You know, you can have a, a good hearing physically, and not hearing very well spiritually. But he that hath an ear spiritually ought to hear let what the Spirit saith to the churches. He says, to him that overcometh. Notice here, I, will I give, give to eat the hidden manna and will give him a white stone and in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saith he that receiveth it. So this is written to believers as a whole, not specifically just the church there. It said, he that overcometh, we know that's another term given to a person who's been born again, according to 1 John chapter 5, talking about a person that's uh, saved, as a person that's been uh, considered an overcomer. But I notice here to the overcomer, he said, I do two things. I'll give to eat of the hidden manna. Now, what does that mean, to give to eat of the hidden manna? Let me show you what I think it means. Uh, hidden manna, I believe, may refer... Uh, to, to Christ himself, that Christ as the bread of heaven or the unseen source of a believer's nourishment and strength. Whereas Israel in the Old Testament received physical food, talking about manna, the church, the bride of Christ, received spiritual food, Christ himself. So I believe the head manna refers to Jesus Christ as the bread of heaven. Let me just share this verse with you. John chapter 6, verse 31. Jesus said, Our fathers 
did eat manna in the desert, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, Moses gave you not the bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. But the bread of heaven is he that which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Then he saith unto them, Lord, evermore give us this bread. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. He that believeth me shall never thirst. So I believe the hidden manna is referring to Jesus Christ himself and a close relationship with him and how he will feed you spiritually. But the promise goes on to say, promise not only to eat of the hidden manna, but goes on to say, to receive a white stone and a new name written in the stone. And what does that mean? To receive a white stone and a new name written in the stone. Uh, the white stone, listen carefully, please. When an athlete in those t at that time won an Olympic game, he was often given as a part of the prize of winning the contest a white stone, which was an admission pass to the winner's celebration afterwards. And so here's talking about the believer will receive a white stone. And it may picture the moment the overcomer receives the entrance into the eternal victory celebration of heaven. So it's like the white stone was given to an Olympic runner who won the contest as a pass to the award celebration. God gives, Christ gives, a white stone to the believer as a pass to the eternal victory celebration in heaven. But it goes on to say also a new name. I believe this is a personal message from Christ to the ones he loves and may serve as an admission pass into glory. It is so personal that only the person who receives it will know what it is. So, uh, he that hath ears, let him hear. <laughs> Let's move on to the next uh, letter in verse 18. Let's read verses 18 through verse 29. Verse 18 through verse 29. And here is the letter, letter to the church of Thyatira. Look at it in verse 18, please. Then we'll back up and look at it one-on-one. Each verse uh, individually. And it says here, notice, of course, who's writing these letters? Who's this from? The Lord Jesus Christ. And notice that if you have a red letter edition, it's all in red letters that he's speaking personally. It says, Unto the angel of the church of Thyatira write, These things saith the Son of God, who hath his eyes like a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. I know thy works, and charity, and service, and faith, and thy patience, and thy works, and the last to be more than the first. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest the woman Jezebel, which called herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants, to commit fornication, and to eat things sacrificed to idols. I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. Verse 23. And I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he which searcheth the reins of the heart, and I will give unto every one of you according to your works. Verse 24. But unto you I say, and unto the rest in Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine, and which have not known the depths of Satan, as they speak, I will put upon you 
none other burden, but that which is already, already hold fast till I come. And he that overcometh, uh, it says, and keepeth my works to the end, him will I give power over the nations. And he shall rule with a rod of iron, and the vessels of potter shall be broken as shivers, even as I receive the Father. And I will give him a morning star. He that hath ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith in the churches. There's a lot of challenging verses here, is it not? If you got your notes, you take them out, please. Let's look at it with this. Uh, here it says together. A minute, what I do with my notes. I'm sorry. Here it is. Thank you. I got got confused last week. All right. This first of all, the Thyatira. This was a. Let me give you some of the background about that. Thyatira, this uh, city, or this church in Thyatira, that this letter written to, the city of Thyatira was 40 miles southeast of Pergamon and was a much smaller city. Thyatira was uh, situated in an area noted for its abundant crops and the manufacture of purple dye. The church was small, but it was singled out for this, pen for this penetrating letter of rebuke. The church met in the home of a lady named Lydia. Would hold your finger right here. Go with me now to Acts chapter 16, please. This little church in the city of Thyatira was held in the, uh, a woman's home named Lydia. We're going to see that. Acts chapter 16. You may have read about her before. She was a woman that was a seller of purple. Acts 16, verse 14. This was where the church was held in the home of the lady named Lydia. Acts 16, verse 14. It said, And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple, of the city of what? Thyatira, which worshiped God, heard us, talking about Paul speaking here, whose heart the Lord opened, and she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. Verse 15. And when she was baptized in her household, she besought us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, Come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. Of course, after that is when Paul went and there was a damsel possessed by a demon. He cast out the demon. And then Paul was taken to prison and beaten. Remember that, Acts 16, 32? And then skip all the way down to verse 40. Conclusion of this, after he was released from prison, after being beaten, it said they went out of prison and entered into the house of Lydia, and when they had seen the brethren, they comforted them and departed. So this church, a small church that Christ wrote a letter to, was a church that met in the home of Lydia. Lydia was a woman that Paul led to Christ. And there in Thyatira, that body of Christ, met in her home on a regular time. Now, let's look at, first of all, the description. Go back now to uh, Revelation chapter 2, verse 18. Notice the description Christ gives of himself here in verse 18. He says, the, unto the angel of the church. Now, hopefully you know that already. Who or what is the angel of the church? It's the pastor of the church. Remember, the word angel can either refer to an angelic being like Michael or Gabriel, 
But the word angel basically means messenger. Many times these angelic beings were messengers. But here the messenger is talking about the pastor. So each one of these letters were written to the pastor of the church that he was writing the letter to. So you can say, unto the pastor of the church in Thyatira, write. Then here he get, the Lord Jesus gives a description of himself. These things saith the Son of God. Here's the description, letter A. His eyes like unto a flame of fire. Who hath eyes like a flame of fire. That's the description Christ gave of himself. It didn't say his eyes were fire. It says his eyes were like unto a flame of fire. This speaks of a burning indignation. Then it goes on to say his feet are like fine brass. His feet are like, didn't say they are brass, his feet are like fine brass, which speaks of purifying judgment. So here's two descriptions Christ gave himself. His eyes like a flame of fire, his feet like fine brass. Now if you would back up in chapter 1, you'll see that Christ already gave this description of himself. Revelation chapter 1, look in verse 10, please. Revelation 1, 10. This is when John wrote this book. He got a vision of Christ. And you notice the vision of Christ is the same description that Christ gave himself to the church of Thyatira. Look in chapter 1, Revelation 1, verse, verse 10. John said, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as a trumpet. And who is this saying, I am the Alpha, the Omega, the first and the last? Of course, that's none other than Jesus Christ. Look in verse 12, please. And John said, I turned to see the voice that spake with me. And being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. In the midst of the seven golden candlesticks was like, like unto the Son of Man, to my Jesus Christ, clothed in a garment down to the foot, girt about the paps with a golden girdle, Verse 14, and his head, his hairs were white as wool and white as snow, and his eyes, what, were as a flame of fire, and his feet like fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice sounded like many waters. So again, this is a description Christ gave himself, actually what vision that John saw when he was told to write the book of Revelation, that Christ had eyes of a flame of fire, and his feet like fine brass. Now, interesting, hold your finger right here, please. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Here's a question I'm asked quite often when we talk about the judgment seat of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Look with me in verse 13. Revelation chapter, I'm sorry, Revelation. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, coming back to Revelation. Back up in verse 11. Here is a description of what is called the judgment seat of Christ. The judgment seat of Christ is the judgment each of us as believers will one day stand before. And he says in verse 11, 1 Corinthians 3, 11, Paul said, For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Verse 12. Now if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble. But verse 13, at this judgment, every man's work shall be made manifest for the day, to the judgment day, shall declare it. Because it, to much your works, shall be revealed by what? Fire, 
and the fire shall try a man's work what sort it is. If a man's work shall abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If a man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so is by fire. The question is, what is the fire? It says in verse 13, every man's work will be placed in the fire, and the fire shall try a man's work what sort it is. Here's an I think. I believe the fire is the eyes of the Lord. If this judgment, the Lord is going to judge what you did and why you did it. What you did, your works, but also what would determine whether your work is a gold, silver, precious stone, or wood, hand, stubble, is the motive behind it. Now, the Bible says, for man looketh on an outward appearance, but God looks on the what? On the heart. So when at this judgment, the fire, I believe, is going to test your works to what sort it is, is actually the eyes of the Lord Jesus. Because he can see past your needs and look at your motives. And so what is the fire that's going to judge a man's work? I believe it's the eyes of the Lord described there in the book of Revelation. And go back to Revelation, please, chapter 2. First of all, we saw the description. Now, number two, look at the commendation. Here he gives a praise to this church. The one who had eyes like a flame of fire and feet like fine brass, the Lord Jesus, he commends them. Verse 19, he says, I know thy works. Now, we said last week, in every church, the first thing he says to them, I know your works. And by the way, he knows your works. He knows what you, <laughs> he knows what you do, what you do not do. He knows your works. So this church here, I know thy works, but read on, and charity, and service, and faith, and thy patience, and thy works, and the last to be more than the first. So notice there's four words that characterize the works of this church. And by the way, these are commendable deeds. First of all, he said, I know the works. The first one in letter A is charity. The word charity means love and benevolence to others. This church was known for its love for other believers. It's benevolence help to other believers that he commended them for their charity. Now, as we cover these, let's ask ourselves as First Baptist Church, could the Lord commend us for the same thing? Could he commend us for our love for one another? Number two, the second, or letter B, the second word to characterize their works, not only charity, but service. Service. Service means aid and ministering. These believers loved each other and helped each other and served each other through aid. They, they needed some financial, physical aid or, and ministering. So these believers are, are a group of believers that care for each other and love and benevolence and aid and ministering. The third word that characterized their works, the Lord commended them for, is the word faith. The word faith. So now, now thy works, thy charity, service, faith. The word faith means trust or dependence upon God. Let me ask you, can the Lord commend you for that? Are you a believer that, that shows forth trust and dependence upon God in, in your life? These believers were. So he commended them for their love, their benevolence, their aid in ministering, and their trust and dependence upon God. Letter D, the fourth word that characterized their works, is patience. Patience. Patience means endurance or perseverance. These believers loved each other, showed ministry and aid to each other, 
were showed dependence and trust in God and showed perseverance. They did not give up. You know, one thing I've seen over the years of being a pastor, I've seen so many Christians come and go. So many that stick in there and aid and persevere and persevere and hang in there. Some people fall by the wayside. How about you? Do you persevere in the faith? Do you persevere in your church attendance? Do you persevere in your service for the Lord? These believers did. In fact, the Lord commended them for it. I don't know about you. This is a good church. How many like to be a part of that church? It had charity, had service, had faith and patience. And read them. It goes on to say, and their works continue to increase. And it goes on to say, the last to be more than the first. Wow. So their charity, their service, their faith and patience was getting better. It was increasing. So these believers are growing in their works for the Lord. A lot, a lot of good to say about this body of Christ. Number three, now look at the rebuke. Look at the rebuke. He says in verse 20, Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee. And notice, I'm gonna, if you would just fill this in, uh, we're going to look at this together because he has a, quite a strong rebuke against his body of believers here. Here's some truths to apply. Letter A, write it down, please. The one thing we're going to learn from this, God does not overlook sin. God does not overlook sin. Sometimes we think, well, look at all the good I do. Maybe he'll overlook the bad I do. Uh-uh. <laughs> Notice that they have a lot of good works. Yes. He commended them for the love, the service, their faith, their patience, and they're getting better at it. But amidst all that, he said, however, I've got something against you. My friend, never think God's going to overlook your sin because you're doing something that's right. Many times say, Lord, look at everything, all the good I do. He said, that's wonderful. Nevertheless, I have something against you. And verse 20, please, look what he had against them. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest. That means, allowest that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed to idols. Now, remember, who was this letter written to? The pastor of the church. And to the pastor, he says, I've got something against you. You're allowing a woman by the name of Jezebel, it says, which calls herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication eat things, sacrificed idols. And it goes on to say, verse 21, I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she what? Repented not. So let her be, write down, God always gives people an opportunity to change their mind, to repent. Maybe you're here tonight, and you've got a lot of good in your life, but you're doing something that's wrong. And you've convinced yourself, God's going to overlook my bad because of all of the good things I do. My friend, that's not true. These Christians have got a lot of good. They said, nevertheless, I've got something against you. God does not overlook sin. No matter how good we, much good we do, he still can see our sin. And God, maybe tonight you're that person. There's something wrong in your life. You know it's wrong. You've justified it because of all the good you're doing. My friend, God will give you the opportunity to repent. Opportunity to change your mind about what you're doing and, and how it's hurting your relationship and fellowship with God. He said, verse 21 again, I gave her, that woman, space to repent of her fornication, 
and she repented not. Then he goes on to say, Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and, and them that commit adultery, talking about a bed of judgment, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. So what we can learn from this, God does not overlook sin. He does give us opportunity to repent, but if we continue our sin, he will judge us. He will judge us. And he said he would do that here. Let her see as God will judge his people. God will judge his people. Even though we may do a lot of good things, God is going to overlook our sin. Praise the Lord, he does give us opportunity to repent. But if we don't, God will judge his people. Verse 23. And by the way, his judgment here is quite harsh. I will kill her children. Her children talk about her followers with death. And all the children shall know that I am he which searcheth the reins of the hearts, and I will give to unto every one of you according to your works. What he's saying here is talk, this talking about ch God's chastisement. Does God chasten his children? Let me ask you this. What is the most severe, the harshest form of chastisement? The premature death. Well, God would take the physical life away from a believer because sin in their life. Now, he will not take away your salvation. How many can say, praise the Lord? We're saved forever. But he will, and it's called, in 1 John chapter 5, it's talking about a sin unto death. Well, he will literally take the life away, the physical life away from a believer who has been involved with sin, who has given them time and time again repent of their sin, change their mind what they're doing, and if they continue in it, God, there comes a time God will say, enough's enough. Come on home. And that's the example of these people. He said, I will kill her children with death. Talking about the physical form of chastisement. Why does he do that? He goes on to say that others may learn. That others may learn. He said, all the children, excuse me, all the churches shall know. And number two, his judgment is based upon men's hearts and their deeds. His judgment is based upon men's hearts and their deeds. Many years ago, in fact, this was when I was in my teenager, uh, I've been in this church, First Baptist Church, since 1968, not as pastor. I came here when I was 14 years old. My, I was, lived in North Florida. My folks moved to Land Lakes, and we come right here to Land Lakes Baptist Church, and we join the church. And, and, and so, but there, at that time, there were, uh, there was, Friction in the church. There was fighting, there, and it eventually become a split. You ever been in a church where there's a split? It's not pretty. It's something I hope that never happens. I prayed for the last 40 years, it never happened to First Baptist since I've been here, but it could happen to anyone. And so why went there? Uh, I remember going to a business meeting, and in the business meeting, there were two men hollering at each other and almost come to fist the cuff. I couldn't believe it. These are two well known men in the church. Two men that were leaders in the church, they were hollering at each other over disagreement. Now, we can disagree with not getting mad at each other, but boy, they were ready to go at it. And uh, one of them, and I guess the issue was over the pastor, one of them got up and looked at the pastor and said, I, Pastor, I promise you, before, if, unless I die, I'm going to see that you get out of this church. And, and boy, he stormed out of there. And he just publicly rebuked the pastor and said, as long as I'm alive, 
you, uh, I'm going to see that you're kicked out. Interesting. Two weeks later, that man died of a heart attack. Why? I don't know. Maybe it's just something happened. But many people in the church believe the Lord chastened him and, and what he did. And by the way, it caused fear to everybody else in the church. At the next business meeting was a smooth sailing. <laughs> now, I can't say that for certain, but that was what, that the Lord used that. Why? That others might learn. <laughs> and notice that his judgment is based upon men's heart. The latter part of there says, I am he which searcheth the reins and hearts, and I will give to, unto every one of you according to your works. Go with me now to Jeremiah, please. Hold your finger right here. Jeremiah 17. Jeremiah 17. Here's God, uh, how much he knows about you and I. Jeremiah 17, verse 9. Notice that many of you are familiar with this verse, and many quote verse 9, but they forget about verse 10. Jeremiah 17, 9. How many ever heard someone say, uh, you know, that person, I mean, he may have some faults, but he's got a good heart. What, do you, by the way, do you have a good heart? What, what does God think of, of your heart? I'm glad you asked. Look at verse 9. <laughs> it says, the heart is what? Deceitful above what? All things and desperately wicked who can know it. So often in movies and TV shows, you talk about people are talking about. You say, "Listen, you got a decision to make. Just trust your heart." My friend, don't trust your heart. <laughs> God says your heart's deceitful above all things and desperately what? Wicked. Why would you trust something that's deceitful? And where should you go when you got a decision to make? Don't go to your heart. Go to the Word of the Lord. Go to God's Word. In verse ten, He says, "I, the Lord, search the what? Hearts." I try or test the reins, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his what? Doing. My friend, God knows your hearts, and he will test us. And the reason why that he may give to every man according to his ways and according to his doings. That there is the Lord's commendation and rebuke. Number four, number four. We saw the rebuke. Now look at the exhortation. The exhortation. In verse 24, he said, But unto you, I say, and unto the rest in Thyatira, as many as, as have not this doctrine. What doctrine is that? The teaching of that woman. And which have not known the depths of Satan. As they speak, I will put upon you none other burden. Here is speaking to the faithful few. Those who have not followed the teachings of that woman. What is her teachings? It talks about led people into fornication. And notice it referred to it as the known the depths of Satan. Now I've looked at it. I've tried. What is that? The depths of Satan. Many commentaries, but the one I like the most referred to that this church and the church was in a, a practice very common back then in Gnosticism. The Gnosticism taught that the, bo the body is evil, but the spirit is good. So they thought anything you do in your body is all right because it will, have, will not have any effect, influence upon your spirit. 
So just go sin as much as you want to and do what you want to in your body. It will not affect your spiritual life. <laughs> My friend, it does not sound, sound like Satan. And no doubt that's what the teacher of that woman was. That's when she led so many of them into fornication and eating that which sacrificed idols. So here the exhortation to the faithful few. He said, but I say unto you and unto the rest in Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine, the teachings of this woman, and have not known the depths of Satan, as they speak, I will put upon you none other burden, verse 25, but that which you already have already, hold fast till I come. So the, to the godly remnant, here's what he's saying. I will put upon you none other burden. In other words, to be faithful to God in the midst of such compromise can be a heavy burden. Many of you may work in an ungodly atmosphere. You may live in an ungodly neighborhood. You may be around a lot of ungodly people, but you're standing strong and faithful to the Lord. My friend, that can be a burden. That can be very difficult. And what he's saying here, because you've been faithful to me in the midst of all this sinful activity, I'm not going to put anything else upon you. You just remain faithful. I will not put any other burden upon you. And he goes on to say in verse 25, hold fast till I come. Hold fast till I come. You keep doing what's right. You keep being faithful to the Lord. Hold fast till I come. In other words, remain faithful until Christ returns in two areas. Hold fast to sound doctrine. Hold fast to purity of life. Hold fast to sound doctrine. Hold fast to purity of life. You know, that was written to a Pacific church that had some bad doctrine in it, teaching by, the, by this woman. But my friend, that's true of us today. We ought to hold fast to sound doctrine. What you know to be true in God's word, hang on to it. Don't compromise it. There's so many churches today that are compromising God's word. They're going contrary to what God teaches. God said, hold fast, but also not only sound doctrine, but a life of purity. You know, we live in a world that's full of impurity, full of sin and godliness. God says, hold fast to pure life. Hold fast to sound doctrine. If that was true of the church Thyatira. It can be applied to us to do, to also. Number five. Now look at the promise. Look at the promise. It says in verse 26, the first promise, go ahead and fill in the blank. If, if they do that, it to be given places of authority to rule and reign with Christ in his millennial kingdom. The promise that God would give to these faithful few that held fast to the end, to give uh, given places of authority, which means to rule and reign with Christ in his millennial kingdom. Look in verse 26. To him that overcometh, and keepeth my words to the end, to him will I give power, that means authority, over the nations, and he shall what? Rule them with a rod of iron, as the vessels of potter shall they be broken into shivers, even as I received of my father. So when he's saying here, I'll give you a place of authority in my kingdom. In fact, Revelation 5.10, I believe it will be on the screen, Here's something that's true of those who serve the Lord and faithful to him. Revelation 5.10, And has made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall what? Reign on this earth. Revelation 20, verse 6, Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power, 
but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. So what he's saying to these believers in the midst of such ungodly activity and teaching, if you remain faithful to me, faithful to sound doctrine, faithful in purity of life, one of the promises you, when Christ sets up his kingdom, you will have a place of authority. You will rule and reign with Christ in his kingdom. But also, let it be, the second promise is that you'll share in his glory. You'll share in his glory. In verse 28, he said, I will give him, to that faithful remnant, it was true to doctrine, true to holy living, I will give him the morning star. What does that mean? What is the morning star? The morning star, fill in the blank there, is Christ himself. The morning star is Christ himself. How do you know, Pastor? I'm glad you asked. Revelation 22, please. We'll have to wrap it up with this. Revelation 22. I believe what he's saying here is I'll give you myself in a sense of having an intimate walk and fellowship with him. Not only in this life, but also in the kingdom to come when he establishes kingdom on the earth. Revelation 22, 16. It goes on to say, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify unto you these things to the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the what? The bright and morning star. So when those who are faithful to God to the end would not sacrifice sound doctrine or impure life, goes on to say, given a place of authority in the kingdom, he allow you to rule and reign with him in a millennial kingdom, and also to share in his glory, which I believe mean, meaning that those who reign with Christ will reflect his brightness and share his kingly glory in his kingdom. I, I know we went through that fast, but it's time for us to quit right now. <laughs> so hopefully you've, uh, if you fill in the blanks, you'll go back over that and look at that again this week. And the next week, we'll move on to chapter 3, to the message to the church of Sardis. So I would encourage you, as homework for next week, read chapter 3, verses 1 through verse 6. And we'll look at the, the next letter that Christ wrote to another church, the church of Sardis. Let's close with this. Is there something in that message tonight to the church of Thyatira that God spoke to your heart about? Is that maybe you're one of the ones you've got a lot of good in life? And by the way, uh, many, I'm impressed by so many people in our church. We've got a lot of good people first Baptist church. We have a good church. But, you know, here's what Satan can do. He will look at you and all the good that you do, and he will tempt you with something that's wrong. And he'll convince you, you know, look at all the good you're doing. Just go ahead and do that which is wrong. God will overlook it. And so many believers take that, swallow that, and say, okay, I'll do it. Does God overlook sin? He does not. We saw that here. They had so much God praised. But nevertheless, I have one thing against you. <laughs> what is the one thing God has against you? And God always gives us an opportunity to repent. Maybe you need to do that tonight. Change your mind about what you're doing and seek to make things right with him. Let's bow together, please. Father, we are grateful that you do love your people. You do long to have fellowship with us. And you do commend us for all the good things we do. 
and reward us accordingly. But Father, it's so easy for us to convince ourselves that one thing doing wrong is okay because of all the good things I do. And that's a lie from Satan himself. Because even when we do wrong, God will not look past the wrong because the good we do. And he will judge us. However, in your love and compassion, you will give us an opportunity to repent, to change our mind about it, then move on to actually make things right with you. And Father, maybe we're speaking to someone tonight who you're spoken to through this word. They know something in their life that they're doing wrong. They do so much good, but there's one thing they're doing wrong, and they're hoping that you might overlook. And Lord, you will not, because that one thing they're doing wrong will hinder their fellowship with you. It will break that fellowship that you long to have with them, and you want to make things right. I pray that we would make things right if God's speaking to us tonight. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you. It is 8.02. God bless you. Hope to see you Sunday. This Sunday we'll continue our study on the grace of God Sunday morning. So please join us as we grow in grace and the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God bless you.